This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. On today's show, we welcome the host of the Believing in Wizards podcast, Matt Mardino. We also break down what we are most looking forward to when the NBA returns at the end of July. Get in touch with the show through Facebook, Twitter, leave us a review on iTunes, and email us on triple-double-podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. It is Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up, dude? I, I have an interesting picture to paint for you here. I am oh, okay. standing in my garage recording with you, and I've got this giant bucket of ice uh between my feet here as i I stand up while we record on on my microphone here so i am just doing everything i can to uh keep my non-air conditioned garage cool as we record here thankfully it's not as uncomfortable as it would have been yesterday when i think it was 106 in albuquerque and we have uh you and me both have definitely been feeling the heat here in new mexico (laughs) Great weekend, though, so far. Can't complain. How are you doing? Good, man. Yeah, you're right. We're experiencing just a record heat wave. Uh, we're just be, been getting hammered uh, by just this, this serious, um, just, again, it's a wave of just sweltering heat. <laughs> uh, very, very uncomfortable. At the same time, you know, this time last year, man, we were in Vegas experiencing this type of heat. Um, yep. <laughs> so we're kind of we're kind of used to it. Um, I think under those circumstances, I mean, we were at Summer League, so a little bit more of a positive uh, kind of mindset in regards to dealing with it. But uh, nevertheless, hopefully um, we'll get a a little bit of relief in the coming weeks or so. Yeah, hopefully we get some clouds coming in again. Monsoon season is really nice in New Mexico. But you're right. I I had totally forgotten that uh, a year ago today was when you and I made our our legendary trip out to Las Vegas for Summer League. Uh, Great times. Hopefully it comes back again next year. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so. Um, On today's show, we're going to discuss um, just three topics. We're going to break down just with the season under 20 days away, what players we're excited about, storylines, things to look out for. We're also going to discuss uh, a controversy with Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA insider. We'll discuss that and we'll discuss um, NCAA Big Ten um, canceling non-conference football games. Um, we'll kind of discuss how that's going to affect college basketball, and specifically here, of course, in, in New Mexico, where Matt and I live, um, what repercussions that's going to have on the New Mexico Lobos. And also, at the end of the show, stay tuned for our special guests, Matt Moderno. He is the host of the Believe It in Wizards podcast with Wizards and Cavaliers veteran Larry Hughes. We chatted with him in about 15 minutes Really, really informative interview, really great insight. So you want to check that out um, after we're done uh, breaking down our topics. But as always, some housekeeping issues. Get in touch through the show through Facebook and Twitter. Um, Just either leave us a message on the Facebook page or just drop us a line on Twitter. And then, of course, email us at triple-double-podcast at gmail.com. And leave us a review on iTunes as well. Um, That helps the show out uh, pretty tremendously. So, man, um, let's hop into it. 
and let's break down where we are with the NBA season. So we've had most of the teams, if not all of them, report to Orlando for basically practice to get ready for the season. Uh, we've seen the Lakers get off their team bus. We've seen a lot of team shenanigans on Instagram and Twitter. So it seems like the players are on board with this idea um, and trying to adapt to the situation. But considering that we are in a pandemic, the, the show must go on, right? So we have, you know, what players to watch, what season storylines to kind of look out for, and, and who's going to be the, uh, the prohibitive favorite um, headed into kind of the, 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 you know, the NBA finals, which is scheduled to take place in, oct- in October. So I guess I want to ask you, man, overall, from a mi- macro point of view, what are you looking forward to? Is it going to be more like how it usually is watching the NBA just in terms of, okay, which team are you looking to see who's going to dominate? Or do you think you're going to be watching it for more of how the NBA is going to pull this off till October? Well, definitely I I want to shift to like basketball and, and just watching the players again. Um, so, I mean, there there's so many different things that I want to see. I, I want to see how specific players are after having – three months off, how their rhythm is. We, we've talked about before. I mean, are these teams the same? We know a lot of teams structurally. I mean, like take the Lakers, the top team in the West. They're not going to have Avery Bradley in the starting lineup anymore. That's going to look very different. Uh, so so I wrote down a couple things here that, I, that I'm really interested in looking at. Player-wise, uh, I'm looking at Nikola Jokic, who has reportedly lost 40 pounds since he last set foot on a basketball court, at least in the NBA. Uh, I'm looking to see what his game looks like, if that's going to be beneficial. Could be really interesting given how skilled he is at handling and passing the ball and just being a great playmaker. Could also be really detrimental to him in the post. So so I'm really interested in that player, specifically in the West. Of course, kind of the, the main thing that I think the NBA hopes happens is that we get this great rivalry in the city of LA. If we get a Lakers Clippers Western conference final, I think that's going to make the NBA a lot of money, certainly. So, you know, they're, they're probably secretly pulling for that. We'll see if we get it. I also just think like a Kawhi versus LeBron duel again and and potential like rivalry for the next few years would be great for the league. Um, But more specifically on the West, I'm looking I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the small ball Houston Rockets work in the playoffs. I suspect that when teams have time to focus on their small ball lineups and it's not, you know, on the second night of a back to back or something like that, it's going to be a little more difficult for Houston to s- sustain the success they've had with it. Um, but I'm fascinated to see because it's it's just like this experimental team that, Maybe you would, you and I would have put together in a game of NBA Live or something. We adjust our roster that way, and we, you know, have um, like Rashard Lewis from back in the day at center bombing three pointers and, and things like that. You know, kind of this make believe uh, lineup. So those are my things. I, I have one more thing for the East, but I want to get your thoughts on what are some of the key things that you're looking for. Um. For me, I, I'm, I like behind the scenes and just seeing how 
really the, the game is going to look. You know, this is a kind of unprecedented situation in, in terms of not having any fans there. And really, if the fans are going to not having fans in, in the stands, how much of a factor that's going to be. Um, and also kind of the long term repercussions. You mentioned the Houston Rockets, right? Um, I think we can kind of all agree they're somewhat in desperation mode. And with this pandemic, does it kind of give them a free pass no matter what happens in this season to just kind of dismiss, you know, failure in terms of this, you know, small ball strategy that they want to attempt? And if it fails, just being like, well, it, you know, we had the pandemic, they're out of shape and just we'll try again, you know, in 2021. So I'm wondering how how much consequences this season from a just basketball standpoint is going to have, because I think before. This hit, I mean, it was very intriguing in terms of a lot of the teams that were in kind of a desperation mode, right? Like the Boston Celtics are is a good example of kind of their high and low um, results throughout the season. Now with the pandemic, no one's really discussing them anymore. So that pressure that they felt, you know, it's, it's not really there. So I'm just curious to see the typical um, – pressures that you would see from social media and just NBA fans now that the pandemic hit and there's all these weird circumstances and you know a player could be gone from a, on a game's notice just because they might have tested positive for COVID that that might give teams a unique kind of get out of jail free card so so I'm curious to see how this season plays out um, I'm curious to see if any other players take advantage of this situation as well and just from, you know, from a nerdy standpoint, just the presentation, right? Just how um, it's going to look on TV. I I think we've discussed this maybe on air or off air. I'm not sure. But an uncensored stream would be cool. Like just seeing, just hearing the players just totally curse and just be kind of their <laughs> authentic selves would be nice to see. Um I, I would like to, to personally see that. But in terms of, like, the players, man, I, I'm going to sound kind of dull and maybe uninformative, but I, I don't really have too much insight. This is an unprecedented situation, like, right? We don't we don't really know other than guys – I mean, it's one thing for guys to lose weight, right? Like, you mentioned Jokic. You, I mean, look at James Harden. I mean, he's lost a ton of weight. I mean, but that doesn't result into being a great basketball player. I mean, we don't really know how many, you know – um, what do you would call it? Uh, scrimmages they've had in terms of like live basketball, so it's it's questionable to see how they're going to look on the court. So we don't really know. Um, just using kind of pre-COVID just expectations and just seeing how skilled the players are. Um, I think this environment suited for LeBron. To be honest, he's a veteran. He's he's a great leader, and I think despite losing Av Bradley. Um, this you might see a LeBron that can steal a lot of rewards because I think he's going to take the brunt of this. And keep in mind, too, I mean, how long have we been in without basketball? What, three months, maybe four? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, coming up on wrong. four months. Yeah. I mean, you, you players never get this kind of rest. That's another thing, too, is, yeah, they're going to be pretty rusty. But at the same time, the, the rest is going to be a huge factor. So they're, they're going to be playing a, you know, I mean, we have a limited amount of regular season games, and then we have the playoffs. So normally players would be tired. They'd be kind of checked out. It would be a grind. Now these players are probably going to be chomping at the bit to get back into it. That's another factor. I mean, it could kind of work both ways where we see, I think, 
players once they shake off the um, the rust have a higher quality of basketball. I know we've seen a lot of pundits say the basketball's going to suck. It's going to be worse, you know, with all these players taking this time off. It could work any other direction. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, stereotypically, usually the shooting takes a little while to get back in that rhythm because That's true. anyone who's played basketball, you know that it's it's different being in the layup line warming up and then being on court and in the pressure of a game. So I think that pressure of the game is going to be something different. You know, another thing to just kind of build on what you're talking about and kind of these outside factors, one of the things I'm really curious about is if we get an example of how continuity matters on these teams. Like, for example, if a team that has been together for a longer time, like essentially their their core makeup, so I'm looking at, and this is my point from the East, uh, the Toronto Raptors, I'm wondering if we're going to see them make a run. We have someone who, in a very short time, it, Coach Nick Nurse has proven himself to be very innovative and very effective as a coach. And we also have a core group of guys from one to seven that have been together for a while now. And obviously, they are the defending champions. Of course, there's slight issue of Kawhi Leonard no longer being there. Uh, and he he was by far and large the star of the playoffs last season, of course, as hopefully you all still remember. But, um, you know, I'm really curious to see if their their continuity is going to put them over the Bucks, who are the overwhelming favorites, I think, in, in the East. Most people would say being securely in that one seed spot. Um but you know the the Bucks did lose useful pieces this last year, so so I'm curious if basically I guess the Toronto Raptors could be like a 2004 Detroit Pistons, and I'm not sitting here telling you that I'm picking them out of the East, but I think if they did make a deep run and a deeper than expected run, like say Eastern Conference Finals or beyond into the finals, you know, it may may say may it may make a strong case for that continuity that I'm talking about, and and how much that team chemistry and familiarity with each other matters on the court. So, just one more thing that I'll be I'll be looking for. Um, any other topics or any any players specifically that that you're looking for that I don't know I I may have missed or that we need to touch on. I don't think so, man. Um... Again, this is a very unpredictable situation. Yeah. And I think when we actually even see some, you know, I don't know what you would call it, I guess, even though the regular season games preseason, um, just when we first see some action on the court, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be weird. It's going to be very strange. And but at the same time, it could be a pickup basketball kind of thing. It's fascinating. I think this is a fascinating kind of experiment, to be honest, um, because this will be kind of like a summer league, Drew League type of situation mixed with NBA, you know, players playing at 100 percent capacity. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think you're spot on there, man. And to your point, I think that summer league vibe, you know, basically be summer league vibe, but far less of an audience even than summer league which isn't typically sold out unless like zion is playing or a big name like that and i wonder if it's really if those those teams on the court without the pressure of the fans there i wonder if they're going to feel the same type of urgency that like this truly is the nba finals that you're in right now 
Are they going to be diving for those loose balls? You'd have to imagine the effort is going to be there, but I wonder if how much it's going to be scaled back in not having that live audience. Yeah, fans play such a huge part of, I, I believe, basketball, probably more than some other sports. Yeah. Um, I can think you can probably you know, the sport that comes to mind is, is soccer um, uh, with just the chance and the, the ways of momentum. But basketball is just you see it, especially, you know, being living here in New Mexico within the pit. You know, I talk about it all the time where, you know, how many times we've seen the Lobos be down by a certain amount and the, the crowd will get them back into it. And it may not win the game, but just that that home court does matter. Um when you have a dedicated fan base and without that being there um that is going to be a disadvantage for uh, a lot of fans and even some even a home court like the lakers who you may not think has a you know specifically huge home court advantage that that's going to matter or even toronto like again toronto is going to be in the playoffs they have a high seed i mean especially them defending the title even without Kawhi. i mean you know no jurassic park no you know, ravenous fans inside that building, that's a massive disadvantage that I think is going to, we're going to see play out throughout um, this bubble season. Yeah, totally agree with you, man. Totally agree. So um, let's head into our next topic, and that is Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, for NBA, any NBA fan, um, any sports fan for that matter, I would say he is the leading journalist when it comes to breaking news within the association. Um, for those who are looking for a comparison, probably comparison to um, Adam Schefter or Jake Laser. Um, Except even be, more inside. I, I agree. Yeah. Um, that the term Woj bomb has even been termed on Twitter. So, Matt, you have details on what's gotten him in the hot water um, just within the last couple of days. Yeah, so th- this is a, a complicated issue, and it's an issue that Justin and I haven't had a chance to talk on on a podcast because this happened uh, before the start of this NBA season, and not the one in Orlando, but the actual NBA season, where, you know, so I, I guess to go back to square one, just to make sure you guys are informed, and I'll, I'll try not to get too into the thick of things, but Daryl Morey sent out some tweets. He's the Rockets GM. He sent out some tweets that were supportive of the free Hong Kong movement. We know that China occupies Hong Kong and has just in the past month, maybe month and a half, if I have my timeline right, uh, they have increased their occupation and have taken away freedoms of the people of Hong Kong. So that that's more recent even than uh, when the NBA was doing exhibition games in China last summer. So anyway, um, basically, LeBron James told Daryl Morey to shut up about his comments. And this was a very controversial issue for the NBA and for the casual fan looking at the NBA because you had this, whether you agree with it or not, you had this imaging of basically because China pays the NBA a lot of money and China supports the NBA. They're a big part of the reason the salary cap is where it is right now, though that's coming down uh, certainly as, as soon as it has the chance to in the next bargaining agreement or even starting next season. Um, so because China is such a player in the, the NBA and their financial success, um, Daryl Morey was told, told to be quiet. He was, he was punished. And a lot of people saw this as an infringement of his 
freedom of speech. And I, I think more broadly, because it's, it's really more of a business tie there, but but more broadly, just a questioning of how much does the NBA value our First Amendment rights as Americans and Daryl Morey's specific First Amendment rights as an American that he should be able to say what he wants on Twitter. Now, of course, you have freedom of speech, but that may hurt you in your professional life. Um, you know, if, if I go out and tweet something unsavory, that's going to have implications in my professional life, potentially. Um, and, you know, uh, so so basically we go fast forward from the start of this season to um, the NBA. We, we talked about this last week, uh, wanted to give players freedom of expression on their jerseys. And I think this is a move to encourage players to feel comfortable that in going into this bubble league, they are not going to be detracted from maybe their goals in participating in the Black Lives Matter movement that many of the NBA players support. Um, so the NBA wanted to give them this freedom of expression. And I'm, I'm missing some details in here, so so I apologize if I'm missing something big. I, I think I'm getting the big points here. So in yeah, her, inner Senator, uh, Senator Josh Hawley uh, from Missouri, he basically said, um, I'm paraphrasing here, he sent a letter to both ESPN and the NBA that said, uh, you are allowing players to exercise their freedom of expression. Will you allow players to put free Hong Kong on their jerseys, seeing as how in the past month things have intensified in Hong Kong? Um, and so <laughs> he was met two minutes later, allegedly, with a swift response from Adrian Wojnarowski. Um a Woj f bomb. Let's let's put it that way. He <laughs> just right. a two word email that said f you, but but he said the full four letter word. That was a response to Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley uh, said he thought it was a joke. He he thought it was some kind of scam or something. No way that Woj um, would have responded that way because he's he's been a professional for for many years. He's as you said, you you already gave the context of how big a name he is in the NBA. Um, so then Josh, Josh Hawley um, took a screenshot of his email and shared that on Twitter. And this whole issue has kind of blown up. Uh, and I think there, there's been distractions of the main issue here, uh, which is the NBA's relationship with China and how, how should that go, potentially. Um, we all probably have different views on that, maybe. Um, and it's, it's a very political, heated topic, certainly. Um, so basically end of the story is, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski gets suspended by ESPN and Josh Hawley is not happy with that because he feels like the suspension of Adrian Wojnarowski kind of shuts the door on the issue when really he claims it wasn't his intention to get Woj suspended or fired or in trouble or canceled or anything like that. He wants to shine the light on the issue. Now you can question that seeing as how he's, he shared the screenshot of that email. He could have kept it private and business or just sent it to ESPN rather than putting it on Twitter. So got to be fair to all parties here. 
uh, as fair as you can be as possible. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on this whole situation? I mean, maybe first starting with Woj, since that's a little bit less hairy of a topic, maybe. And then we I think it would also be a good idea to expand a little bit on the NBA's relationship with China, because you and I haven't had a chance to podcast about that just yet. Yeah, um, with Woj, it's pretty simple. He acted unprofessionally, and and what's what's unusual that, about the situation is that Woj, who is you know known on Twitter, used a very old school method of expressing his displeasure, which is an email. Um, now you can send an email very quickly, but nevertheless, um, maybe he wanted to be more uh, private about his displeasure. Um, about these the senator's remarks, but uh, nevertheless, he was very unprofessional. Um, I think I don't know. Maybe I'm overstepping my bounds, but I feel like a tweet is within his why he didn't do it. His Twitter account is directly affiliated with ESPN, right? He's breaking news now. Matt, you brought up he does post, you know, politically um, left leaning. Um, material on his Twitter handle as well. But when you're going to Woj's Twitter handle, it's, it's for NBA news. That, that's where you're going on there for. Um, and his email account is private. So maybe that was his intention. But nevertheless, it was it was on call for and, and out of bounds on his part. And he'll, yeah, no, he'll... I'm sorry, if I can just clarify. No. It, it was yeah. from his ESPN account. Uh, the... The email, the email. The email. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Yeah, this. Yeah, his his business. You know, his work email. Sorry, uh, I, I just not, wanted to clarify. Not, it wasn't personal email. It was, yeah, it was yeah. a business email. But yes, private. Yeah, private. Exactly. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, that that need clarification. Um, but for me, uh, I think he 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 was out of bounds for that. Um, and and especially with him, like he has a lot of power at ESPN, right? Like, oh yeah. He, he could have gone on outside the lines. Um, he could have gone on first take. Um, it, it's hard for me to believe his ideas would be kind of shut down if he had any, um, I don't know, opposition to this. So for him having this big of a voice, I, I think him going about it differently would have been a better strategy. Um, so that's pretty easy. I think he, he deserves to be suspended. I don't know. Maybe I don't think it's too serious. Um, maybe a couple of weeks. That's probably it. Um, as for the NBA in China, this is this is a huge situation. I mean, honestly, I'm wondering. I mean, we talked about this before we were doing the podcast, Mal, as you stated, as the, the league was taking a huge hit financially and with COVID. I mean, you have to wonder the the, the future of the league. I mean, China is a is a huge. Um, factor in, in the NBA's business. I mean, for those who may not know, I mean, this all pretty much started in terms of more of a, I don't know how you would say it, a view of the NBA seeing a massive return on our investment with Yao Ming. Um, of course, this started earlier on with NBA in China, but Yao Ming was the tipping point. Uh, once he came over here, once he was the star of the Houston Rockets, you saw China um, become a massive player in terms of a television market for Houston Rockets games. And we've seen even the Houston Rockets be a huge um, business partner um, with China in terms of Yao Ming being an ambassador um, for the, the game of basketball. And so with Daryl Morey, I mean, it was a double whammy. Not only did he say those comments, but also his teams are directly affiliated with China. Um, so, so he's not like he's not the GM of the Atlanta Magic, right? or the, the New York Knicks or the Lakers or the Bulls. I mean, this is the Houston Rocket is 
are directly affected by whatever happens in, in China. So that's why it was amplified more by his comments. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if I've heard any players um, want to put free Hong Kong on their jerseys yet. Um, so I'm curious to see if that happens. So far, a lot of the, the impetus of this has been about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So I think it's, it puts Adam Silver in a very precarious position if there's a player that's going to do that. Um, we've seen some players opt out, like LeBron, which shocked me. Um, so with this whole player, this name on players' jerseys, um, it, it, it has created a lot of problems because, not to go off on a tangent, but with LeBron, I mean, he's in a bad position because you can easily see LeBron as the bad guy for him not wanting to put his, you know, any social injustice on that back of his jersey. But he's, you know, he's the most outspoken person on social issues. Um but yet he's, you know, he looks from a public relations standpoint, he looks bad from him not putting, you know, the social injustice name on there. So I think this whole thing has opened a uh, quite a bag of worms um, for the league. So we'll see. I think it's it's an interesting point because once you do have a player that wants to do this, um, it's going to be a an all bets off situation and there's one more thing Matt. um in terms of the senator i think he has a right to bring up the question i mean it's a valid question i don't yep i don't really see the the inappropriate nature of what he asked and compared to the um another controversy with another senator with the nba um she's the owner of the i believe the atlanta dream in terms of you know her thoughts on just putting names, I know, social injustice on the back of jerseys. She was vehemently um, against it, and her views are a lot more extreme. So I think even for Woj, um, I, when you were telling about this, Matt, I thought it was about that, to be honest, because I think his response to her would be a lot more appropriate than it is to this, this gentleman um, here. So overall, um, I feel that um, just to sum it all up, Woj is out of bounds. Um, if there's a player that want, is going to want to um, put social injustice on, on their jerseys re- relating to China, relating to Hong Kong, there's going to be some huge problems for the league. Yeah, I, I kind of want to dig a little deeper on this and, and give some other context for this situation because I, I think um, – you know, the, the NBA isn't the only company with this problem. In fact, they are one of many, many companies. Um, I mean, I have an iPhone. Um, you know, I, I have purchased Apple products. I have purchased other products. We all have stuff that is made in China. So really, if you go back to the days of Richard Nixon when he opened China, this is stemming from that. That, that China is a part of the global economy and China is a very powerful, large nation. And they don't see eye to eye on us in, in terms of core values in how we should treat human beings and, and what human rights look like and how you treat your citizens. So I, I think, you know, there's there's a saying that has been going around that has been fairly true um, <laughs> that is get woke, go broke. And the NBA is seeing consequences from this uh, because you can't deny that that there is a little hypocrisy if you say you guys can put 
whatever whatever you want on your jerseys except for the family's names of the victims or the victims' names directly on the jerseys. The NBA did say they didn't want that directly happening out of respect for those families, and I think that's totally fair. Um, but you get into this position now where, I, I, like you, I am unaware of any player that was suggesting they would put free Hong Kong on their Jersey, but there is potential for it happening. So, so I do think that's where politics comes into play a little bit here. And I do think that Senator Hawley is maybe grandstanding slam dunking, so to speak, pun intended um, to, you know, maybe drum up his base a little bit on an election year. Cause let's be honest, that's a factor in getting headlines in the news and in Twitter. Um, but furthermore, I, I think, we should understand that we're all hypocrites to an extent. This does, however, change my mind on how the NBA needs to focus on these messages on the jerseys. You know, I, I said just recently, I think it was last week, that, and I still am, a proponent of free speech and the players being able to put what they want on those jerseys. So I still am a proponent of that, but I do think the league needs to make a decision pretty quickly here about whether they want to continue this with the jerseys specifically. I think a way you as the NBA could avoid getting into this hairy issue of, well, yeah, you guys partner with China, so how can we take you seriously on human rights? I think the way they could maybe sidestep this is rather than on jerseys, just have team messages, team stickers that they want put on the court and have it more of a, a community vote type of thing with the individual jerseys. I think you're getting into dangerous territory where you might have messages that are bad for business. And you know, that, that may be a hot take or whatever. They, they may want to even pull that idea off the table altogether, given this. And that may be a reasonable thing to consider as a business decision. Um, but I think, you know, unfortunately, any way they go, they might look silly because I, I do think it would be a bad look as well to say just directly, like, no comments about anything other than Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, if, if other players have other issues that they feel passionate about, I, I don't think I'm for censoring those issues. Um, so it's it's complicated. It's hairy, you know. I, I mean, do you have any other thoughts on this this topic? No, I think you'll be surprised that we align on this on this issue. I, I agree with you. I think you just put the players in that bad position because look at LeBron, right? As, as the second I saw that, you, you know, people are going to say, "Why is he going to put a, um, it's you know a a uh, a phrase of social injustice?" You know, people are going to criticize him. Like you just instead of respecting his you know choice, it's going to be well, he's not down for the cause, even though. LeBron has done plenty for, you know, not only the black community, but for, you know, all types of social uh, causes. Um, I, I want to get to your point also about the League Two, Matt, because this has huge repercussions in the future. Because I don't know if you're aware, but the, the, the situation that the NBA is in with China, a lot of other leagues and entertainment entities are in with Saudi Arabia. Um, mm. We've seen that with the, the, with the WWE. Um, they have had an agreement with Saudi Arabia, I think, in, until the mid 
part of this decade. We've seen big boxing fights that are take place in Saudi Arabia. We've, you know, we've seen other you know, entertainment venues, other artists go over there for concerts. And, you know, with Saudi Arabia, they have a lot of human rights violations. And yeah. no doubt with the NBA, they want to break into many different markets. I'm sure Saudi Arabia is on the radar. I'm, I'd be surprised if they're not. Um, as that has to be on the radar. So I think overall, when you're right, when you get into this territory, it, when they, they are, it's inevitable that they're going to want to get in bed with Saudi Arabia, that this this is going to come up. And I think with the league, I like how their mind is at. I, I get it with their names on, on the jerseys. But honestly, like you said, Matt, I think just putting it on the court would be a lot more effective. Um I think, honestly, if you really wanted to take it a step further, I think what LeBron, Kevin Durant, Jalen Rose have been doing with their um, charter schools and their leadership academies and just allowing anyone to go to these um, privileged schools with really no requirements and get a free education, um, I think making players do that or be involved in that, I think it's a lot more effective, to be honest, (laughs) um, than just putting a name on the back of a jersey. if you want real true change, um, let's kind of put the money where everybody's mouth is, and let's let's build some schools. <laughs> um, I yeah. think I, I think I'm I'd rather be down for that because um, if you see it, you know, with the names on the back of the jerseys, again, like I said last week, I mean, who's profiting out off these jerseys? Right, is a hundred percent of the proceeds going to go to? You know, Black Lives Matter or any of the charities or if, like, if Nike or the NBA are going to get a cut of it. Because if they are, you're profiting off these social injustice causes, right? So, I mean, that's where you get into a lot of these, these hairy situations. So I totally feel you. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a tricky thing when you're a business that's trying to go global. You know, America still to this day, in my opinion, is the freest nation that's ever existed. And so automatically... When you go to business, when you get into business with any other country, you are going into business with a country that has a different standard than you. That's not necessarily always a horrible thing or a horrible discrepancy. It just so happens to be a pretty horrible discrepancy when that business partner is China. Um, so, and, and the other thing is that they are the other global power. Some might even say the global power. Uh, and so they, they have a lot of power. They have a lot of money. And the reality is, you know, this this is the nature of business. So I, I don't think the NBA should necessarily be set on fire for this. But but again, I'd reemphasize that the problem is the hypocrisy when you have LeBron James who gets active in social justice causes. And I think he's done some great things. Uh, I don't want to minimize that. Uh, but when you have him tell Daryl Morey to shut up and then that is like closing the book on the subject and Daryl Morey has to apologize for that, that type of stuff. Um, You know, I I mean, and anytime LeBron posts on Twitter now about anything social justice, you see, and some of them, you know, might be like Trump bros that are commenting, but you have people posting memes of LeBron James in China. And to an extent, he still has not really addressed it, or at least to the extent that, that many people, many critics would say that it needs to be addressed. And so I, I do think there is 
some hypocrisy there. And I'm not saying LeBron James is a bad person. I, I've said <laughs> plenty of times on this podcast how much um, you know I like LeBron James as a basketball player anyway. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a hairy, hairy situation. Um, and I think the optics could potentially be disastrous if you have players crafting their own messages. And that's not to say anything bad about the players, but, but I do think the NBA needs to walk this back and, you know, like you reiterated what I had said, you know, maybe make this a team message or something about the community, or like you said, I I mean, really a name on a Jersey is kind of cheap. It's, it's not doing a whole lot. It's getting some eyeballs, but it's not really substantive action. So maybe as you just said, highlight things that you are doing in the community Maybe document these things um, and make these causes known that can be supported that are actually doing actionable change in in these communities and and positive change, of course. Yeah, um, I I agree with you. Did you you have any other thoughts on on the subject before we move on? No, I think that's that's a lot on China, probably more than the listeners want. (laughs) But, you know, I, I hope you guys know that that was that was a big headline this week. And that has been a big issue in the NBA that honestly, we still need clarity on. I, I do think Senator Hall, Senator Hawley's questions are valid. And I, I don't know that it needs to be answered to the public just yet, but if the NBA progresses further um, on the line of, of this messaging, you know, it, it may be something that builds even more momentum and becomes you know, a potentially financially uh, penalizing issue for the NBA. Yeah, it's it's valid. And also to, I mean, look at your other entertainment entities or things that you watch. I mean, they're all dealing with this issue at some level. So um, the, the NBA, is, it's not the only one dealing with this. So just to, you may say, oh, what well, is the NBA's problem? No, this, is gonna, this might pop up in any movie you're watching or any other sport. Um, so it's something that they definitely keep an eye out for. For um, more on that, watch yeah. Ricky Gervais's Golden Globe speech from the oh, last right. year. <laughs> right. If you, if you haven't seen that, that is, um, I mean, top-notch Ricky Gervais there. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on. For sure. <laughs> um, last topic, and um, something that we won't truly see repercussions until, you know, maybe August, September. Um, but nevertheless, the, the dominoes are continuing to fall. Um, the NCAA um, Big Ten is um, canceling non-conference football games. Um, some people were saying, is this movie too hasty? This move too hasty? And if um, basketball fans, college basketball fans should be worried, my mindset's always been, how is college football going to operate? Um, even with... Um, I believe I forgot his name. He's a he's a analyst on ESPN. Um, he was really saying that the NCAA is kind of it's a governing body, but their ju- jurisdiction is somewhat limited with these conferences. So you basically have all these conferences doing their own thing instead of all these college sports operating as one unit, as as you know, one single entity. So it's been astonishing to me to see how many college football coaches and athletic directors assuming that this could be a college football season i i don't understand like what you're gonna cancel non-conference games whoopsie do like you're gonna do conference games that you still have to travel to those so and there's been no plan as to testing uh where did where the kids gonna stay at 
how they're going to be quarantined. I've heard no plans at all. And I think we've seen it with the three repercussions of Stanford cutting 10 sports. We've seen, you know, here in our neck of the woods, Matt, in, in Albuquerque, the governor here postponing all fall sports till the spring. Um, I think college basketball fans should be worried. I, if I'm, I'm a college basketball fan, I'm assuming not to see the Lobos play until 2021. Um, I, I just don't see how you can pull it off. I've seen really no conference step up and per, provide a guidelines of doing anything. I think we've seen Ivy League cancel their sports. So I think, yeah, sports fans should be worried, not only college basketball fans. And, and I just don't understand the lackadaisical approach. I think I've, I'll say the same thing about the NFL. I don't understand how the NFL's operating like they're going to have a football season. I, I don't understand how they're going to pull that off. Um, so those are just, just my thoughts. I know it's pretty negative, but unless somebody can give me a layout of how these um, conferences are going to pull this off, and not only in just the major sports, but the minor ones too, um, I, I, I don't see any fall sports happening for any college period. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to agree with your sentiment. Uh, I feel a little disheartened because I think a lot of this has been – fear-mongering um, by the media to some extent. Now, again, I, I'm not a person who does not think that COVID is a serious issue, uh, but I am a person who thinks that fall sports are a possibility if we had more, um, more, I guess, concrete plans set into place. Like you said, I mean, a big issue to not have an official plan uh, to go with. But if, you know, if you look at college age kids, I mean, they're more likely to get hit by lightning than they are to die of COVID. And I think at, at some point, the nation is going to need to build up herd immunity to this if that can be done. There's just a lot that we don't know about COVID. Um, so, of course, there'd have to be some serious plans about like teachers, if kids are going back to school, there'd have to be some serious plans to keep coaches and athletic training staff, media, et cetera, safe if we were to do this. And to this point, we haven't really seen that plan. But, you know, it's it's it did take me by surprise because we had just back in the month of June, friend of the podcast, Jeff Grammer, shout out to him, you know, was telling us that there's just too much money to lose, that NMSU was already starting practices uh, in the month of June, and uh, that you know UNM, uh, we heard from from Brandon Ortega, I believe that uh, you know UNM was a little bit slower to get back to official team practices that was supposed to be happening around that time. I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sorry to say, but I assume that has not happened just yet, given the recent um, announcement from the, the New Mexico governor. So it's it's disheartening. I I do feel kind of inclined to push for normalcy if we can do that in a safe, planned way, of course. Um, but it does seem to me like the momentum on coronavirus is going to shut things down. I, I think the Big Ten shutting down these non-conference games is um, momentum in that direction. And and I think once you go that direction, then it's easy to to then say, well, if we're not going to have non-conference games, why should we have a full season? Or why why should we have conference games? And then why should we have a full season? Um, so, 
you know, I think it's it's unfortunate. I, I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping maybe we get some some good news in the month of July. Maybe things start to turn around. We do know that cases are up. We do know that deaths were up from last week. Um, we do know that the death rate seems to be pretty low. Um, increased from last week, given that there was an increase of death, but overall still pretty low. Um, but again, I mean, I think the main thing I'd emphasize is just that there's still a lot that we don't know from coronavirus, and we are doing one of the best jobs in the world in testing our population, but there's still so many people that that aren't testing and may be positive uh, that we don't know about, which potentially, if they're not going to the hospital, might be a relief for us to know about. But again, we just don't know, and I know that's that's what we've kind of been saying for the past couple of weeks, because it's true. It's, you know, it's the national pandemic and it's frustrating that it is, um, you know, taking away some of the things that we look forward to. And of course, if, if that saves a very significant amount of, of human life, of course, you know, college sports is, is small change for, for that trade, of course. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating and disheartening. And I think, um, we're seeing more and more people getting frustrated in in being locked out. I mean, one of the things that was said um, for our own state that was kind of shocking is if you go outside, period, like if, if I go out in my neighborhood to walk my dog by myself, I need to wear a mask for that trip for the whole time, even if there's nobody else out in their driveway, et cetera. The guideline starting tomorrow, I believe, is... Um, you wear a mask that whole time when you step outside. So so things are just being taken extra cautiously. Obviously, we want cases to go down, and especially we want deaths to go down, of course. Everybody wants that, I think. Uh, there's just so much of a disagreement in the way to go about this. And so I think people default with being more cautious just because of our compassionate nature. And I'm sorry to go on for years. <laughs> what are your thoughts on all this? No. Um, so, no, no problem, man. My thoughts in a sports context, because we can kind of talk about coronavirus in a political context all day, but I, I want to keep it within college sports. Yeah. We, we've seen it in other sports. The less participants you have, the easier it is to contain the virus. Look at UFC. They have Fight Island. They're in Abu Dhabi. They control who goes in, who goes out. They test um, media members, they test the interviewers, they test the fighters, athletic commission, announcers, etc. When you expand the number for college football, for instance, how many people are on the roster by football? 54 guys. That's what you do the math. I'm stupid. I'm terrible at math, but I think that's 108, you know, football uh-huh. players, both sides. Count the refs. Then let's just say the commentators are doing it from an undisclosed location. Take them out. But then you have refs, coaches. um, You have personnel maintaining the stadium. That's, you know, and then you're doing that every single week. And I understand that we have to get back to life as normal. And I think with Dana White, I think he's right. I think I disagree with him. Some of his, a lot of his stances have gotten a lot more political. But the bottom line is that he's been bullish on it. We've seen it. If you are active in testing and if you have a battle plan, you can do this. And you don't yeah. have to cost lies. Look at the UFC. No one, from my knowledge, 
No one's gotten seriously um, ill from them so far. Some people, excuse me, some of the fighters have gotten COVID. So far, there have been no deaths so far uh, related to that. And we've seen with the NBA, you know, hopefully so far with their cases, we've seen no one seriously affected. So to me, this is possible. It can be done. But my issue is with college football, we've, there's been no plan. So you don't have a plan, then why are you talking about this going to be a season? That makes zero sense. You have to take precautions. Um, so just to assume when we're going to be in mid-July next week um, and, you know, some college football takes place in August, that's a huge problem, not to mention some of these other little smaller schools. I mean, look at the Ivy League. You know, you would have the sense they have tons of money to run their schools and yet excuse me, run their sports programs, but yet they've canceled all college sports, fall sports. So if a, you know, if these schools that you think we think, you know, have lots of money are canceling sports, just imagine the smaller schools that don't have money in, in their budget. I mean, even at UNM, right? I mean, yep. our football team, take a look at it. I mean, operates as a loss when the team takes the field. So we're in a catch-22 situation. So in my mind, without any strategy, I, I think there's a lot of concern not to see your favorite sports as compared to, I again, with Dana White, he's been very bullish about this, right? This is a organic, fluid situation. He has a facility in Vegas, has a facility on an island in Abu Dhabi. And I think with college football, with all the, you know, we take a look at all the resources, all the money that goes into it. And there's been, in my knowledge, and if I'm wrong, if somebody wants to send an email, triple double podcast at gmail.com, let me know. I'll be glad to correct myself. But I have seen a, not a coalition of, you know, flight directors or university presidents coming together and saying, hey, let's come up with a plan to, I resume at least the football season that they have the most money on the line. You would think with the BCS or the, you know the playoff, um, you would think we see a lot more um, kind of sense of urgency. We have not. So yeah, I don't really feel bad because they've done nothing. They've been pretty lazy about this. So I feel sorry for the students. If I'm a you know a student athlete, I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for the kids. But you know for the universities that you know might be missing out on this money. I don't necessarily feel sorry for them because so far from what I've seen, they've done a poor job. I mean, I don't see any sense of urgency yet. Yeah. I mean, the problem will be that the people that'll pay for that will be upcoming students because tuition will come up to make up the difference. They'll put that on the students exactly, um, and on, on the taxpayers, of course, for, for state schools. Um, But, you know, crazy time. So that, that's kind of more broad. Um, You know, I, I agree with with what what you're saying you definitely have to have a plan and if there isn't a concrete plan out there if if the plan right now is just oh well it'll be college football again but we won't have as crowded a stadium we need something more specific than that uh even with many of those stadium stadiums being outdoors and potentially safer than say like a basketball arena um you know you you still need something concrete and you need something thorough to give everybody confidence and to go ahead and proceed in the safest manner possible with the best practices possible. You know, another interesting tidbit that I'll I'll say about COVID, uh, and this relates to the NBA bubble, one of the reasons, one of the theories, again, because we know very little, but one of the theories as to why cases are on the rise is that 
as you and I mentioned at the start of the podcast, it's getting hotter across the nation. And when heat goes up, people go inside to air conditioning where then the virus has, or they say that is the best condition for the virus to spread, not necessarily the air conditioning, but um, high airflow and being stuck inside. So when you're stuck inside on these hot days, like you might be, say, in, I don't know, Florida, um, you see cases go up. And that we saw that happen in New York. They did kind of a study on that and on cases where they found that 66% of cases at one point, and I apologize, I don't know the specific date. It was back in June, though. They said 66% of the cases that they found were people who were obeying lockdown orders and staying indoors. So they're staying indoors and getting the virus. Um, now, again, in, in any situation, these college players are going to be indoors at some point. You're not going to avoid that uh, necessarily. But it's it's just interesting because I wonder how this applies kind of getting back to the NBA in having that bubble. If these guys are indoors as teams, we may see a very quick spread. And, and obviously, I hope not. But again, we know very little to this point, even though this has been going on for months and uh, it's frustrating, but, you know, we'll just keep our heads up and hope for some good news. Well, we just hope the testing in the NBA is sound, right? That the, the more we've seen doctors, college doctors I've seen, that the better testing you have, the, the, that's the way to fight this virus for now until we have certified treatment or a vaccine. So it's to yep. test, test, test as much as possible. So these guys are being tested every day. If they're not going outside, if they have to wear a mask all the time, I think it'll be all right. I think the issue is going to be those Walt Disney personnel where, you know, they're, I don't think they can leave voluntarily. Um, and then they come back and then they interact with the players. That's when you might have some problems. But as long as the players stay isolated, the reporters have to follow the same guidelines. I, I think it should be okay. I know it, it looked, the optics look terrible, right? You're in a state with rising coronavirus cases. However, in this facility, that's kind of the point, right? And then hopefully they've discussed this. If Florida were to go up and you're in this bubble, you contain the bubble away from the spike in infections, right? Um, so I think overall with the NBA, as long as they have the strict testing procedures, um, I think – they should be okay. One thing I do want to see, the UFC put out a video strictly laying out how they lay out their testing procedures. I would like the same thing done for the NBA. Um, I know there's the book. They have the manual, but physically seeing it visually would be nice, um, like a report, something. Just showing how the players check in, how they test. I know the um, the basketball tournament, the TBD tournament that's on ESPN, they kind of laid that out a little bit. I think the NBA will be um, would be better suited, and it would um, serve them good in the long run to do the same thing. Yeah, and to that point, um, you know, I, I think um, the there's no guarantee that the kids, the college kids, are going to be safer. Um, you know, in in an environment where they're just staying home, like if if you could get a plan in place, and again, we agree that you need a plan, but if if you could get that in place, you could have these kids temperature checked every day, like a lot of work sites are doing that have essential sure. employees that come in. So I don't necessarily know that I prescribe to the notion that 
it's it's going to be safer um, for for the players to be staying at home. Um, you know, certainly I, I think the main consideration that we all can agree on is that you need to keep coaches who are obviously older than players. You need to keep teachers safe. Uh, we definitely need to find a way to be able to do that if there's going to be talk of, of having a season or returning to school. Um, but I, I think for the kids staying at home, you might see even more of a spread of COVID, at least among them spreading to people in their household. Because I don't know about you, but you know, when, when I was a college-age kid, I don't know how much I'd really take seriously like staying home. I, I certainly think that I would use my best judgment and not go around elderly folks or high-risk folks with without a mask and that kind of thing. But, you know, when you're in college, you feel like you're invincible and you don't want to be stuck inside your apartment, your dorm, your your family's house, whatever. Um, you'd rather be going out with your friends and, you know, maybe making mischief or just, you know, just socializing with your friends. So, um, so I, I think there's always two sides to this. And, I mean, again, I'll say what I've been saying the whole time. We just don't know. Um, so they need to really get a plan in place, like you said. Yeah, I agree. Uh, does she have any more thoughts on this? Uh, nope. I have, I'm all set, man. I think that is a good, solid NBA, NCAA podcast. And we have that great interview coming up with Matt Moderno. So be sure you guys stay tuned for that. And you can always contact us at triple double podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we are on pretty much all forms of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page. So any way you want to engage with the show and catch our feed, uh, please tune in and like, subscribe, share. We appreciate your support. For Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. Have a safe rest of your week, and we'll see you next time. See you later. Peace. So now we have the pleasure in welcoming on to the show Matt Moderno. He is the host of the Believe It in Wizards podcast with NBA veteran Larry Hughes. Uh, welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good to be here. So um, I wanted to have you on because specifically with you, since you co-host a, a basketball podcast with a NBA veteran, you would have unique insight as to when the pandemic first hit um, and just how it affected the NBA. So when all this <laughs> craziness started to happen, can you kind of, kind of give your perspective on terms of what you were discussing on your show, European as like an NBA fan, your perspective, um, just paying attention to the Wizards. What was your overall thought when the pandemic first hit? Uh, it was just a uh, rough timing for us specifically. Uh, Larry and I had just decided to kind of kick off our show formally uh, in early March. So it was going to be like a soft launch, uh, you know, going through the end of the season. And it just so happened that uh, it's just <laughs> really unfortunate timing. Uh, the kind of focus of our show is to be uh, very X's and O's heavy, you know, give Larry's insight and kind of behind the scenes knowledge of, hey, this player did this because, or this coach was calling this and, you know, this huddle. Uh, and you can't really do that if you don't have basketball to watch. So so selfishly, uh, you know, it was pretty rough for us, but we've tried to pivot and, and have a lot of, uh, you know, just different perspectives and interviews from, from different players and things like that to still be able to try, you know, some kind of basketball uh, content for people. I, I know you guys are, are doing a really good job of trying to mix things up and, and keep it fresh, but Definitely getting tough the longer this goes on. 
So we're now um, heading into almost August, and we've seen that the the NBA season is about to resume. How do you feel that the NBA has handled this pandemic, just considering compared to other sports, the NFL, they don't seem to have a plan. Uh, Major League Baseball had a lot of uh, trials and tribulations with their players and owners. Um, how, how do you think the NBA has handled the pandemic from first to start to now where we have the bubble situation? I mean, I think just based on what you said, I don't see anybody that seems to be doing it better. So, but this is one of those situations where I think you almost have to give these leagues like the ultimate pass because there's just sort of no, no blueprint to follow. You know, one of the things I, I keep asking Larry about is he sort of survived two different NBA lockouts and, and sort of the closest thing, you know, in, in terms of, of, shock to the NBA and, and having to kind of do things on the fly. And just to see how that situation compares to this one, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously different because there's so many health factors and things like that. But uh, as much as they could, they could really shake things up on the fly. I think they've tried to do it. And it, it seems like they've put, you know, health and safety, you know, at, at, at the top. And that's kind of really the, the thing you have to go back to is it doesn't seem safe. And, uh, I think now maybe if they could do it over again, putting it in Florida probably wouldn't have been a great choice. But, you know, when they were making those early decisions, there was a lot of talk about, well, maybe warmer climates would make it tougher for the virus to to sort of sustain itself. So I think they just did the best they could with the knowledge they have at the time. And, and now it's kind of easy to poke some holes in it in hindsight. But it just there's no there's no right answer here. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Matt. And uh, furthermore, I mean, I wanted to get your thoughts because the Wizards are in this really unique position of being in the ninth seed. We have obviously John Wall has been out for a long time. Uh, Bradley Beal is is out with a rotator cuff injury. Uh, Davis Bertans has decided to sit out uh, to make sure that uh, he's he doesn't injure himself uh, from the sound of it. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, do you have a sense of how the Wizards are feeling about being that ninth seed? Um, do you do you feel like there's a sense of um, you know just confusion about why they're going, or do you get any any sense that the team wants to be there, wants to work some things out on the court? Um, what are your thoughts on the Wizards being there in that ninth seed? You know, our, our owner, Ted Leonsis, has been one of those guys that routinely goes out and kind of beats his chest and says, you know, the Wizards will never tank while I'm around. And then you look at some of the things we've done in certain years and it's like, well, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a soft tank. But apparently they <laughs> lobbied pretty hard to, you know, to be in, included in this bubble and just been a little unfortunate. You know, while I get not coming back, the Beal thing uh, is, is definitely tough. You know, Bertans, it seems like the team was pretty okay with that. I guess if you want to bring a guy back in free agency, though, you probably can't go out and say you're wildly against him sitting out. So it's a tough position to be in. Uh, starting center, Thomas Bryant, also now has COVID. So there's some questions about he's not down there with the team currently. So whether he'll actually join them late uh, becomes a question. Uh, backup guard, Gary Payton, the second, also has it. Our, Backup, backup shooting guard Garrison Matthews isn't making the trip right now because of personal reasons. It's, you know, they're going to be a skeleton crew. And, and I think they've kind of had to pivot to just this mindset of, yeah, you know, if, if we sort of backdoor in, you know, backdoor our way into the playoffs, great. But if, 
if it's just, hey, it's eight more games and some practices and some scrimmages to see what our young guys look like, I think that's okay with them too. And we had um, the Wizards G League coach, Ryan Richmond, on last week just to talk to him because he's, he's also a player development guy and a former Wizards assistant to talk about what that preparation was like for them and, and who looked good sort of in the weeks leading up to them leaving for Orlando. And, you know, all of the names he sort of, I think, strategically mentioned were all most of the sort of young up and coming guys that I think that you're going to want to see featured the Rui Hachimura's, the Troy Brown juniors, um, Admiral Schofield, you know, people, people like that, that they kind of have, that they want to see what they'll look like in prime time. Yeah. Do you get, I guess, um, you know, my follow-up to that would be for you as, as a Wizards fan and someone covering the team, um, which guys are, are you looking for or just in the team in general being there? I mean, if, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> to be fair, if, if they back into the playoffs, as you said, you know, you're getting the Bucks in the first round, and that's a pretty tough matchup for obvious reasons uh, with how Giannis had, had been playing. Um, what kinds of things are you looking forward to watching? And maybe um, developmentally, what are some of the players you're really keeping your eyes on? I mean, in addition to, to some of those names that you mentioned there. So I wrote an article at the tail end of last calendar year about sort of the top hundred wizards of, of, you know, the previous decade. And obviously Beal and Wall were at the top of that list, but third was, you know, kind of came up with Marcin Gortat, who was a very nice player, but mm. when he's the third best player your organization has had over the course of a decade, that that's kind of tough. So they haven't <laughs> had like a lot of help and, and Wall and Beal when healthy have been, you know, relatively um, successful together. So I think the organization thinks that if you have them both back next year and you can just kind of have like competent, reasonable pieces around them, they're at the very least like somewhere in the middle range of the playoffs. And I think one of the things that's missing is there's a lot of younger guys around them. So even getting like pummeled by the bucks in the first round, it's still a learning experience for some younger guys that, that don't know what a playoff atmosphere is like. Although in Orlando, I, I have no idea what a playoff atmosphere means. So that that'll be kind of uh, interesting, but any experience is probably good for them at this point. The one name I would sort of pick out of that group is Jerome Robinson. They traded uh, Ish Smith to the Clippers and, and got Jerome Robinson back. He's a former lottery pick, um, was a big time scorer at Boston College, and then just sort of got buried in LA. And mm. he looked okay in, in spurts, um, you know, in the handful of games he played for the Wizards before everything shut down. He just seemed to be hitting a little bit of a groove. Uh, so I think he's probably the biggest question mark on, on the entire roster at this point. So it'd be really good just to see if he's a guy that can help you at all next year. And, and there are not a, you know, a ton of shooting guards left on the team. So he's going to definitely get a lot of minutes and, and probably the green light to take a lot of shots. Um, Matt, I want to get your opinion on the, the future of the NBA as a result to this pandemic. Do you see things if, you know, there is a vaccine and we do go back to normal in terms of fans and regular attendance, do you see the NBA schedule going back to normal or do you see this as an opportunity for the league to possibly make some like huge changes in regarding to the entire schedule in general? Um, and that includes summer league, the draft, et cetera. Uh, you know, that that's a great question. And there's been all kinds of chatter about people wanting to sort of mix things up anyway. And, 
and you guys are a little younger than me anyway, so so you you can probably answer this better than I can. But by all accounts, like younger people don't like. Are, are you guys watching all 82 games of your favorite team all year, start to finish? Like, it seems like the answer is <laughs> probably no. Yeah, so exactly. If the if the season was 60 games, is that really changing a lot from uh, from a fan base perspective? And this sort of excuse that they can't play over the summer typically because people are on vacation. Well, how many times do you just like log into a you know something on your some kind of app on your phone and watch a game or watch the highlights on Twitter after the fact, like it's just consuming basketball so different. I don't think it hurts anything um, to sort of shake it up a little bit. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be beholden to to the old tradition if I were them. What do you guys think? Um, I agree. I think especially now where there's, there's not that many sports, really the only thing that's going on is, you know, the the UFC. Um, I, I think with, with the NBA returning, this is a good chance to kind of um, kind of re-educate the, the fan base on when to watch basketball. And not to mention, too, we're kind of used to summer hoops with the, the Drew League and Big Three and Summer League. I mean, it's really been a, a year-round sport. So I, I think, like you were saying, Matt, the, the, the same old excuse of, you know, not having basketball in the summer is kind of out the window. It really – I mean, basketball itself, the sport, is a, is a 12-month sport. I mean, the NBA now, considering free agency, I mean, the league has the interest of the sports world um, throughout the entire year, throughout the offseason. So I think that the summer is available um, to adjust the regular season if they if they want to do that, or the, or the playoffs. Yeah, I think you nailed it with the, the free agency part there, too. Like, they, they get year-round content out of that. You know, it's not somebody sitting in front of uh, you know, sitting in front of a TV watching a game that they can get ad revenue off of, but it's eyes on screens, and and that's if they can monetize that in the right way, I think that's important. But you you know, you've got summer league that now people go to and care about and watch, which I went last year for the first time. If you guys haven't done that, if we ever get back to normal, uh, that's a must do trip. It's just very very cool experience. But uh, yeah, totally, they're so yeah. creative. Oh, sorry, Matt. Uh, I was just going to say we actually went uh, last year together and uh, totally agree with you. Summer League is amazing. I mean, any any diehard basketball fan should definitely make their way to Summer League at some point. And Vegas is such an easy trip. I mean, knock on wood that that'll be the case again someday uh, in the near future here. But yeah, no, you're totally right on the money there. Um, I have one more question for you. I know I know we got to let you off the line soon, but um with John Wall, I, I just kind of wanted your your sense on the fan base's relationship with John Wall. I mean, obviously, we don't um, fault players for injuries and things like that. That's that's always tough. We want swift recovery, and we want him to be, you know, a top tier point guard in the league as as he was before he kind of unfortunately got this injury. Uh, but we know how emotions change when players have large contracts tied to them, things like that. What is your sense of the Wizards fan base and how they feel about John Wall? I mean, that's that's been a huge conversation is, you know, is, is this Bradley Beal's team now since he's kind of uh, developed further as a playmaker? I mean, a lot out of necessity, but he's done a great job at that. Um, what do you think the fan base kind of feels about John Wall at this point? Uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I have kind of a, 
a perfect short answer for you here, but it's it's a complicated relationship, I think. Um, to, to your point, you know, nobody would fault a player for, for getting injured, but there were sort of some reports that maybe this injury was made worse because he sort of wasn't doing the things he was supposed to do with the initial injury. So, like, that's complicated. Mm-hmm. If he was just making a max instead of a super max, and they hadn't given some bad contracts to people like Jan Mahimi that or Otto Porter that sort of, you know, handcuffed them a little bit. Would would it be easier to swallow? And it's it just it, it. There's a lot of other factors that go into it beyond just sort of him unfortunately being hurt. I think the one thing that that sort of helps overall that you have to remind people about when they get sort of negative about him is just he's like been unbelievable in the community, and there's been just like a lot of. I don't know, shenanigans in D.C. Uh, from a franchise perspective over the last decade and a half. So he's a good player who actually wanted to stay here. Now you could be jaded and say, well, of course, because they were going to give him $40 million. But it's, you know, you got to give the guy some credit for wanting to be loyal to the organization and the city. So you would hope that people sort of respond in kind. Uh, that being said, if, you know, the way this thing's played out right before, like there were videos leaking of him, like, throwing down tomahawk dunks on people in G League practice. Then he goes on a podcast and says he's 110%. And then it immediately comes out and says, oh, there's no way I'm going to Orlando. And then says, well, if I were healthy, I still wouldn't go play. So this the messaging hasn't been great. And he, I don't think mm-hmm. he's done himself a ton of favors from that perspective. Well, Matt, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, please plug uh, your podcast and any other projects that you're working on. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's uh, the Believe in Wizards podcast. It's B-L-E-A-V. We're part of a larger podcast network called the Believe Podcast Network. So they pair a host like myself with a former athlete. So uh, top 50 player of all time, Rick Barry, does the Warriors podcast. Uh, Ralph Sampson, you know, former Houston Rocket, does a podcast like that's sort of the the general mold, and and my partner, like you guys mentioned, is a former wizard and former Cav, uh, Larry Hughes. Larry's like literally the nicest person of all time to work with, and uh, just an unbelievable basketball mind. So the show is sort of wizards focused, but it, it's a good opportunity for people to kind of learn some of the the behind the scenes things, the terminology. You know, if, if you hear a coach yelling floppy or ice on the sideline, like this an opportunity for people to kind of pick some of those things up. So even if you don't care about the Wizards necessarily, I still think it's one of those things where people might pick up a couple cool things to learn along the way. Well, Matt, again, thank you very much for joining us, and um, have a good one. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Yeah, you too, guys. Take care. Thank you, Matt. Take care.